1: if you wanted, we could start with some of those links that you had sent along the other week. Um, There was that LinkedIn poll, so I can explain that one really quickly, and then we can talk about it. So this was a poll from LinkedIn News UK, and they sort of posed this question to people, Asking, you know, now that people have had to adopt remote work during lockdown and experience the flexibility that kind of accompany, accompany it, what would it take to give it up, say an extra £21,000? Mm. Um, according to a recent survey in the U.S. of major companies, including Apple, Amazon, Salesforce and Microsoft, 64% would choose to work from home permanently over a, and this is U.S. dollar, $30,000 pay bump. Um, and then it asked the uh, LinkedIn audience, which would you choose? The cash um, to keep working remotely, uh, the decisions too hard or or other.
0: Yeah, I can't remember what the results said. Did, did I give you the results or was it still open when I sent that to you?
1: So the results. Um, so I voted as as other. I'm in the minority there. But the. Uh, top 63% said they would take the money. No question. 29% say they'd rather continue working remotely. 4% say that the decision's too hard. And then 3% say other. Um, and I think a lot of the others are kind of like me. It depends on the, uh, I guess, circumstance you find yourself in, mm. um, You know, for where I am currently, I would probably uh, take the pay bump. But if I was working in a more major metropolitan area where commuting was very stressful and expensive, then you have to start to weigh those costs. Right. And it might get your decision amount around that amount of money might change.
0: Yeah. So um, when when I looked at this, it was exactly that. So, you know, if, whether it's pounds or dollars, um, if you took the, for me personally, if I looked at the cost versus the working from home, um, the net effect was like, um, well, if you worked it out on a monthly basis, you're looking at about a 1500, um, or it was 21,000. Yeah. It's about 1500, 1250 a month, more money. Um, Versus now, if you look at the the travel costs and all the rest of it, I think I was only getting about £600 more per month um, if we just took the cash component, but that didn't take into account potentially being taxed on it. So you're looking at like £300, let's say it was 50% tax. So so for me, it was kind of like, well, it didn't really help me. Um, But I think if you look at a general working mechanism, there's, there is going to be a need for you to go into town to see people. You do need to do some stuff face to face. You can't do everything remotely. Uh, even when I worked for businesses where um, the head office was in Canada and we were all based in the UK and living where we lived, we still met in, in the city once once a week, once every two weeks. Um, so, so you are going to spend, you are going to need that money one way or another, I think. Um, but I think the, the sort of carrot stick thing we will take away from your salary um, because you're not in, you're not coming to the office. I think that's that's not the right way to approach it. Um, mm. I think I think there's a level of paying the person for their value to the organisation, um, factoring in things like you know we, we you know you reduce your office space if not everyone's going to be in the office, uh, and that you'd use to pay your staff good, good wages. So they stay with the business.
1: Absolutely. And there's, there's other costs too, from working from home. Um, that I know some companies offer stipends for, but you know, you're paying for your own internet, you're paying your own power. Um, there are different costs when you're at home where, you know, even your water bill, you know, you'd be using more of the company's resources. Were you in an office?
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, and I remember um, when I was working for—I um, don't even know who the company was now—it's gone up my head. Um, the we we got a, a small allocation per month to internet for internet for um, sort of home office working. It wasn't a lot. I mean, it might have been fifty dollars. And and it, you know, for a lot of us, and I spoke to to guys um, about it. For a lot of us, it was more the intention as opposed to covering the bills. Um because the company offered to cover those that does it will give you an allowance, you're almost more supportive of the or more loyal to the organization. And I think that's a yeah, know, important, that. important thing. Sorry, okay.
1: No, you're fine. I'm getting I have a little bit of a lag, so I think I
0: oh, sorry. I don't want
1: to talk over you. Um all good. I mean, I think, yeah, this was just a I wonder if um any of those those major companies who were kind of called out in that survey will actually uh, do anything with this information. I mean, I think the worst lesson you could possibly take away from it is we can just pay our employees a significant amount less because they'll choose the flexibility. But of course there's, you know, different trade-offs now that people might make.
0: Yeah, so so anecdotally, and 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 I've heard, and I've seen this in a few um groups that I'm in people are saying that if a company is going to force them to work in the office five days a week, they're going to look for another job um, or they're going to work, you know, they to only look for jobs where with some level of remoteness uh, is acceptable um, or, or, it's, or it's part of the deal. I'm not saying that, that people shouldn't go into the office. I think there's a, there's a need to see and meet people and talk to them and, you know, whether if it's one day a week, two days a week or three days a week or, or even in the case of a five day week, uh, you know, when the circumstances warranted, then you do it. But I think the, the factory mindset that you've got to be in the office nine to five every day or eight to four, whatever the, the times are. I think that for most jobs, most knowledge worker jobs, you know, that's that's a very bad old way of thinking. Um, have you have ever spoken about the book People Wear? I don't okay. think so. I need to I need to get a copy of that to you to read. I don't know if I don't know if it's digital. I have to probably send you a, a paper a paper version, but it's a very interesting book written. Uh, I want to say in the eighties, um, but it but it goes through all these things uh, in in. I can't remember. I mean, I haven't read this book in fifteen years, um, but it's kind of in my head as a reference book. It talks about that the, they explore all these things like open plan working. Why that's a bad idea. Um, why people need offices, not necessarily their own office, but a, but a shared office of maybe three or four people. Um, you know, so try to find the balance between um, uh, collaboration and with um, quiet time to do work uh, and how certain roles in knowledge worker need to have quiet time. And I mean, this, and this comes back to the, to kind of what I think I, when I responded to on the LinkedIn uh, poll is that, you know, people are adults, treat them like adults. Um, it's, it should be about results. And, you know, if they want to work at home for two days to write a document and be offline, let them do that. But then also um, if they need to be in the office to talk to people, let them do that too. You know, let them all work it out as, as, as adults do. I think a lot of these rules and, and sort of pressures are are back to school um, mm. in the sense of, of providing a structure and you have to be in um, – in class on time and all that kind of stuff. And I think that doesn't warrant productivity or improving productivity. I think it, it uh, it actually takes away. Um, And I know when I work, when I work in open office, uh, I really struggle to get work done um, because of the distractions.
1: Yeah. It kind of hit me yesterday. I was like, Oh yeah, if I go back to the office, I'm going to be missing. It's going to just be, uh, noisier just naturally, no matter what. Um, and I really value silence, I think is sort of an underrated, um, thing to have in your environment while you're working, not having, being a- able to overhear all these coworker conversations or someone's phone goes off or anything like that. It just breaks your flow.
0: Yeah. But it's my big issue is that, that you, you're trying to work on something and then you've got someone coming past your desk 10 times. Um, well, you know, you you get a lot of you know, people walk past your desk to talk to you, or they walk past your desk because they're on the way past you, and 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 that sort of distracts me. Now, it's funny if, if I'm sitting in a coffee shop, that wouldn't bug me, um, but I think it's because I don't I don't know the person walking past me in the coffee shop, so I don't care they're walking past me. Whereas if it's a colleague walking past me, you know, it's almost like a a, pro, a, a proactive visibility awareness or something to say, oh, this person's coming past, maybe they need me, me to to help them with something or talk to them about something or whatever it is. Um, and that sets me off the distraction path, which is you know, the ADHD that I have um, looks for that kind of stuff.
1: I find, too, that with a coffee shop, you know, it's kind of slow murmur of there's multiple conversations happening. And yeah, most of the time, everyone's a complete stranger. But if you're in the office and there's just like two people talking, mm-hmm. I find it really mm-hmm. hard not to like like your brain just wants to listen to that one conversation.
0: Yeah, especially if they mention a word that relates to you somehow, um, then you definitely You just perk up, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you then you sort of get sucked into to being an unwilling participant. Yeah. Um, what, what was the uh, what was your thoughts on on? I mean, you you you're actually quite lucky, I think, in a sense, because you you work, um, you know, literally a couple blocks away from your office.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I purposefully have sort of taken the commute element out for myself just because I know a, well, first of all, we don't have good public transportation where I am. So I could, you know, there's, there's a bus system, but it would take me a very long time to get anywhere. And then, um, you know, something like an Uber or whatnot would be terribly expensive to rely on all the time. So I just don't enjoy Driving stressful downtown parking and then starting my day off like that. So, I've purposefully chosen to live within walking distance of my office. Um, and we actually just bought a house which is still within walking distance of oh, the congratulations. office. Congratulations, sorry, of not thank you. Um, yeah, so we'll move in July, which is very exciting. Um, but so I don't have that, that element of the commute is it hasn't been as big for me. I mean, honestly, it was like my, it was a little bit of exercise, so I don't really mind the walk commute, mm. but I think all of the elements of just, um, you know, having the flexibility and it's not even, um, I don't have as many sort of considerations, as a lot of people with families or kind of other scheduling things, but, you know, just being around, Um, my cats more. They enjoyed that being able to do little things around the house. If I I need to, I don't do too much of that, but, you know, being here, if a package gets delivered or, you know, if I do need to go to a doctor's appointment or something like that, I feel like there's a little bit more flexibility there. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I would like to continue to work at least partially remotely, but uh, still not sure where that's going to shake out for us. Um, so our state is doing a, uh, sort of an interesting way to incentivize people to get vaccinated. So there are different states doing different things. Ohio, which is just South of us is, I think they're, um, raffling off like a million dollars to however many people get, out of whatever population gets the vaccine every day or something like that. So you could literally go get your (laughs) shot and be like a lottery winner. So some states are doing that just like raw, you know, play the numbers, um, different things to get people to get their shots. And our state is doing a, if the population hits X percentage vaccinated, then we'll do this again. So the first thing to reopen is and once we hit 55% vaccination, you can go back to the office, which is, which happened at least for first dose. So we now, I think it's legal for everyone to go if they want, if the company does it to reopen the office. Um, so I think it'll be very interesting to see in the next weeks and months, um, what starts to happen there in the state? I don't know. Uh, but it's, 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 it's feeling pretty near, nearer term than it was a few months or even weeks ago.
0: Yeah, and I think this is uh, that sort of gamification we were talking about it yesterday uh, with the vaccine passports. Um, would, you have to have a, would you be allowed to travel if you had a vaccine? Uh, and we we'll even get down to the point of would you be allowed to travel if you had a certain vaccine? So if you had the Pfizer one over the um whoever it is, uh Minerva. Minerva? that's might be a customer. Moderna. Moderna, that's it. <laughs> so that one's actually a customer. Um and and I think there's there's a need in some senses to incentivize people to have the have the, the vaccine. Um I mean, I think it's a personal choice in the end. I mean, we we'll probably have it because if we want to ever go back to the UK, we'll need to have um in order to enter, I think we'll have to have had the vaccine. Um, but because we might not get the one that the UK wants us to have, we might end up having to have two vaccines. Um, but that's, that's a bit unclear at this stage, but I think there is a, and I think this comes down to, um, doing the right thing for the right reasons. Um, I don't think we'll ever reach herd immunity, but I think if you can get the population or the majority of the population to the same basic safe level, which is what the vaccines are doing, they're not necessarily going to stop you getting COVID, but they're going to reduce the symptoms or reduce the transmission. Um, the same way we, we handle flu, the flu vaccine, um, that's good for everyone, generally speaking. Um, so so I can see where, they, where they're coming from with, with, with pushing it, pushing it forward
1: yeah there's just a lot of different reasons that people are holdouts um and i think there's there's certainly a percentage of the population and i think it tends to skew but younger that's just like well i probably won't die from it you know i you know maybe i'll get it someday but i'm not going to make the time to go get it but you know if they hear they can get a million dollars then
0: well that makes it yeah Uh, you know, totally on board with that. I mean, so so I've just had one of my staff, um, she's come, she's just come back to work now. She's been out for about a month. Mm. Um, I think she's about 30 and and she really took it hard um, in the sense that she was in ICU and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I don't think anyone should ever be, well, like with any disease, I don't think you should ever take it lightly. You um, shouldn't, but
1: a lot of people, but a lot of but people do. do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I guess <laughs> i mean you, you can't you, you can't tell people how to what to think and you shouldn't tell people what to think, but you do wish that they that people like that, and I've got one in my family who who completely believes this is all a conspiracy and all the rest of it um you just you just hope that they don't put themselves in harm's way because of it yeah cool okay, what was the what was the other link that I sent you
1: that was the <laughs> I think we need this now. This is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. This is talking about why we need more humor at work. It was a a McKinsey interview of a couple of Stanford professors talking about uh, humor at work.
0: Yeah. Well, I think um, so. So we've, we've talked to people on this podcast where they've mentioned having um, specific meetings to lighten the mood or, or break the monotony. Um, and where this came for for me is you know we're trying to we've just obviously done a big um of a new interface and you know the guys have been working really hard so they've been really stressed so it's just to bring um, some enjoyment back into the to the team um, so that article just popped up funnily enough on the same day that I was having those discussions with, uh, with my exec and um, which might be Facebook or whoever, whoever's monitoring me, helping me with um, this content, who knows? Um, but yeah, I thought it was quite apt.
1: Yeah, I think what they, uh, it's interesting that they tied it to, I think ultimately kind of profitability. They were showing that if you inject some humor and you don't even have to actually be good at telling jokes, mm. um, even just the, sort of attempt um to sort of yeah lighten the mood even if they're like the worst dad jokes on the planet you know um something that everyone would just groan after you said a terrible pun or something like that <laughs> it can still uh, <laughs> uh i think just kind of uh put people at ease and improve things like productivity and engagement and Yeah, it's actually that's really kind of the interesting part Um, here. It says leaders with a sense of humor are 27 percent more motivating and inspiring. Their employees are 15 percent more engaged and their teams are twice as creative. So those are some promising numbers.
0: Well, if you go to any, well, I want to say any good leadership book, the first thing there is about being vulnerable. (laughs) And nothing makes you more humble or, or, or vulnerable than making a bad joke and no one laughs at it and, and, and wearing that wearing that as well to say, oh, well, that wasn't a good one. I'll take that off the list. Um, but, it, it, you know, I find in a lot of circumstances, because you are, are typically a leader, people are guarded um, often to begin with till they get to know you. Uh, and any way you can break down those guard, those guard mechanisms, um, the better your team cohesion will be.
1: Yeah, they they sort of pointed out as well that the style of humor that's most effective varies on your kind of seniority and role.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: for example, if you're a C-level at a company, if you you know punch down with your humor and make fun of employees below you, that you're you know, you're probably going to come across like a jerk. There was an example they had of a CEO who had um, you know fired one of their VPs and then came back to this meeting and things were really tense so he tried to diffuse it by making a joke about the woman he just fired which didn't land particularly well with that audience um so if you're in one of those leadership roles having some self-deprecating humor um is is more well received versus if you're in a junior role it's okay to sell some self-deprecating jokes but if you're self-deprecating all the time it can actually make people sort of like you don't want to take away authority from yourself because you're always making jokes about yourself either um so it it was interesting to how they kind of broke down you know where you are in the org in your career you might want to kind of stay away from different kinds of humor um for a while so
0: like i've i've made some freudian mistakes in my life um, one of which I, I, still, I speak to the guy often and I still apologize to him every time I see him and it's, you know, it's where your, your, your personal, personal jokes, like on the golf course, um, overlap with your professional life sometimes. Um, cause it was, a, it was a golfing joke, not a joke, but like a, a one liner that I, that I'd used, which I shouldn't have used. Um it happens look I, I, we've all got them and we've all done them i, I, had, a, I had a boss who, who used to think that he was he was winning friends when he insulted someone in the team and then that night in the pub everyone was saying geez what i idiot. why do you do that so um it, it can happen to all of us and i guess someone's going to give you feedback in a way that you take it on board
1: yeah i think it just goes to show that humor um can be a really good tool for both Leadership and team building, but you have to do it the right way; otherwise, it'll have
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: the, uh, some of the opposite effects.
0: No, exactly. It's it's time and a place and a context.
1: Another element that I thought was interesting is they said it can even help you uh, close a sale. So just and and a lot of these jokes, So. Uh, the example that they gave at the end of a sales pitch to say something like, this is my final offer and I'll throw in my pet frog, which, you know, that's not like a (laughs) hilarious thing, but it's kind of like unexpected. Right. So you can see how it would catch someone in the moment. Um, Yeah. And they found, I guess, that if you inject some humor, uh, that it can get you an 18% higher price point in a sale. So I mean, you have to be careful with it, but it certainly seems like a powerful tool. And I think something that, uh, you know, a lot of business interactions could use some more levity and some, yeah, some being personal without, you know, being totally unprofessional.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got to. I mean, we've got to always be careful of political correctness and all that kind of stuff. But but humor is probably the best thing for for most situations. I mean, uh, if you remember Chandler from Friends, you know, the more serious the conversation, the more more jokes he made. Um, of course, you've got to sort of balance that where you don't want to, be, you don't want to lose your credibility. Um, but what I liked about that that article, which, which you've mentioned, is sometimes it's a small thing that gets you the greatest value as opposed to... Trying to come up there as a stand-up comedian and and really not, you know, landing that at all.
1: It makes me think of I can't remember who this quote is from, but people will forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Mm. And I've had some like funny coworkers in the past, some of whom have even like had backgrounds as um, comedians. And you know, even if they didn't, if I if I like if I clicked with that person's humor. Um, I do still miss having them around in the office. And I think like little, you know, you definitely notice those people along, um, your career who have that skill of kind of bringing everyone together on something funny, um, and that it does kind of just leave you with that, uh, warm feeling.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I do need to drop off. I've got a, another call that started, okay. um, was that the the last one? it was yep oh good okay I couldn't even I didn't even remember sending that to you to be honest but I was I was probably in the moment <laughs> reading and went oh this is a good one for Heather um, that's cool
1: awesome well uh, have a good rest of your day and happy birthday thanks. tomorrow
0: thanks Heather good to chat to you cheers babe. bye
1: you too bye
0: thank you for listening to today's episode Heather Becknell is our producer and editor thank you Heather for your hard work on this episode Please subscribe to the series and rate us on itunes or the google play store follow us on twitter at the dww podcast the show notes and transcripts will be available on the website www.digitalworkspace.works please also visit our website www.digitalworkspace.works and subscribe to our newsletter and lastly if you found this episode useful please share with your friends or colleagues